Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm very happy to have with us today uh, Professor Catter from Sheffield um, that has just presented the new study in high-risk non-muscle invasive bladder cancer with erdafitinib TOR2. Uh, Professor Catter, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you very much, and it's lovely to see you again, Benjamin. Uh, great, fantastic. You, you, you just presented this data that were very expected uh, regarding the use of erdafitinib in an early stage um, of bladder cancer. Can you explain us the rationale and the design of this study? Yeah, well, I mean, to a urology audience, we know how common non-muscle invasive bladder cancer is, and we know how many patients have relapse and recurrence after BCG treatment. Um, we know that the guideline recommended treatment is radical cystectomy, but only about a fifth of patients have a cystectomy. So there's a big need for salvage treatments that keep the bladder in place in people who fail BCG. And you'll know around the world that there are a variety of regimes out there. So in the UK, uh, hypothermitomycin is quite common, I think, in France as well. Uh, I think in the US, it's gemcitabine, gemdosi combinations. Um, and so we have no gold standards salvage. And therefore, we were interested in looking at erdafitinib, which is a, a tablet, so an oral uh, FGFR tyrosine kinase inhibitor. It, it inhibits all the FGFRs. Um, and it's got uh, a license in the metastatic space in the USA and a few other countries based on a randomized trial in that environment. So we were thinking, would this drug work well in the non-muscle invasive space? Um, as you know, FGF mutations are really common in bladder cancer. If you go to low-grade disease, maybe 70% of them have got an FGF mutation, mostly FGFR3. And in the high-grade non-invasive disease, we think it's about 30%. Mm -hmm. So in Thor 2, we, uh, there are three cohorts. One of them is the randomized trial, which we presented today. One of them is a marker lesion study with people at intermediate risk where we've left the tumor behind and we've given them erdafitinib. And one is for CIS. And, and those two are being separately presented at the SUO and they'll be at the EAU next year. Um, we were looking at the randomization in people with papillary recurrence after BCG. They were randomized either to oral erdafitinib or to the investigator's choice of salvage chemotherapy. But it had to be from either gemcitabine monotherapy, uh, mitomycin cold, or mitomycin hot. Um, so, so no combination? No combination, yeah. And, and, and there, that's a really good point, no combination. I think there, there is no standard, and uh, you could have as many options as possible, but that won't work in a randomized trial when you've got to do a multinational recruitment. Mm -hmm. You need to have a limited number of options. And, and previously in this space, um, single-arm studies have been the dominant one, so it, it was important to have a two-arm study. So we think we had a drug. We think it would work in this population because they've got about a third of them have got mutations. And so we randomized and we treated, and we've, we've, we reported today the 13-and-a-half-month follow-up data, mm -hmm. which showed that uh, erdafitinib, the, we didn't reach the median recurrence-free survival. So 80% of them were recurrence-free. Um, with time, I think about 75% a year were recurrence-free. In the control arm, recurrence rates were much higher, and the, and the median recurrence-free period was 11 months. Mm -hmm. um, the hazard ratio is 0.28%. So that means if you take erdafitinib, you're 72% less likely to have a recurrence or an event compared to the control arm. Okay. Well, this, this is a really impressive result. But on the other side, we had, um, you, like the, the study had issues to recruit patients, due especially to adverse events. So Benjamin, you were asking me about recruitment. We planned it for 240 patients, but we closed early at 73 patients because of slow accrual. Um, 
it happened, we were trying to recruit during the COVID pandemic, and we all know that as urologists, these patients weren't coming into hospital. Uh, we were trying to recruit through periods of BCG shortages, mm-hmm. so there were fewer BCG unresponsive patients than we expected. Um, we screened, uh, 1,000 patients were enrolled, uh, but only 80% had had enough tissue to do a mutation analysis, so we lost 20% there. And then I think it's fair to say that people were concerned about systemic side effects from erdafitinib, mm-hmm. and that it, that it affected recruitment. So we closed early with a with a smaller number, but but also we saw some toxicity, and so that's, that's what I wanted to to also. Yeah, so so it's a really a message of two sides. This um, paper: one, it's very effective, but two, a third of patients stopped erdafitinib because of toxicity. So all of the patients had one one or more adverse events. Mostly those were mild. But there were some grade three retinopathies, so that's, mm-hmm. you know, losing your eyesight temporarily. There are quite a lot of nail, n- nail dystrophy and skin yeah. problems and phosphatemia. So, so in the end, um, A, there was the side effects we expected. B, the tolerability was diminished. And I think that's more because this population had longer treatment than mm-hmm. in the mesotic space. And they were less likely to tolerate the side effects. Whereas if you've got mesotic disease and you've not got many options then you tolerate the side effects, whereas these, these patients did have other options. What was the, the median duration of treatment in the erdafitinib arm? Um, I don't know if I'm honest, Benjamin. I, I think they were treated out to a year. So, so um, it's a, long, it's a yeah, really long yeah, treatment long compared to what we have yeah. in, in metastatic, yeah. uh, in the metastatic definitely, field. Definitely, yeah, yeah. And I, I think that so far, uh, these adverse events are not uh, acceptable in, at that stage of the Yeah, disease. I think you're right. I'm, 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 on a personal anecdote, we recruited well to the marker lesion study. Mm-hmm. And in that population, um, I've got quite a few patients who are honored if it's near for non-muscle, for intermediate risk, non-muscle invasive disease. Mm-hmm. They've got quite bad nail and skin problems, but they won't come off the product because it works very well. And yeah. so, so it is, I guess, beauties in the eye of the beholder. People will tolerate if they perceive the benefit. But fundamentally, I think going forward, you can't have a drug where a third of the patients don't comply with it. And that's probably the, the future of this. Yeah. Uh, like the, finally, the conclusion of this, uh, of this uh, study is that definitely this drug, adafitinib, has a real impact yeah. in non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. But probably the future will be uh, delivery into the bladder directly. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think lots of take-home messages. One, biomarkers are here to stay. We did biomarkers, biomarker selection. Um, the response rates blew out the water, mm-hmm. the previous PREMBO rates, the previous other phase two study rates. So in a biomarker-enriched population with a specific target, it works very well. Two, you can randomize in this cohort, and it was the randomization that was most important to us because we could then see the relative hazard ratio benefit of it. Mm-hmm. And then three, the toxicity is not good, not tolerable systemically. So local delivery through a Taris or some other product is going to be the future probably. That's sure. Okay. Great. Thank you. Thank you very much, Tim. Thank you.